Well, thank you, Alex, for giving that truth to us. Thank you for leading us in our praise this morning as Ashley's out of town. God has really blessed us richly as a church with so many with so many musical talents and gifts, and I love the way they use it to honor the Lord and to point us to Christ Sunday by Sunday, and it is encouraging to see. Alex, so however, you just gave away the answer to the question I was going to ask at the beginning of my sermon and your song, and so, you know, I usually give you a question to think about as we begin our sermon, and you just gave the answer to that, because the question was, as followers of Christ, what do we most need? And so we know the answer now, because Alex just shared it with us in Psalm. But as followers of Christ, what do we most need? Now, we can give the right answer. Alex just sung the right answer, thankfully, for that of what we most need. But what do we really believe we most need? Again, we can all give the Sunday school answer. We can all sing it in the songs. But what do our lives show we really believe we need the most? I think if we want to see that, we need to look at what do we pray for the most. Because as followers of Christ, we know that God answers prayer. And what we ask God for is what deep down in our heart we really believe we need the most. So pause for a minute just look at your own prayer life. Look at what is it you talk to God about the most. In light of that, what is it you believe in your heart you most need? Is it success in school? Is that what you pray about the most? Or success in your job? Or your prayers mostly about finances? Or about health or relations or, or sickness? Your prayers about relationships and things getting to where they need to be. It's about protection from harm. What is it when you pray, you pray the most about? Because that's going to show us what our great, what we believe our greatest need really is. Now, friends, there's nothing wrong about praying about any of those things I just mentioned. Please don't hear that because God invites us to approach his throne of grace to bring whatever requests, whatever burdens, whatever concerns are on our heart. But in light of that, what is the greatest need? What is the thing that we should most be praying about? What is the thing that we most need in our lives for God to do. So turn in your copy of God's Word or find in your Bible app, Ephesians chapter 1. If you're visiting with us or new to Gateway this morning, we're working through the, the book of Ephesians, verse by verse, on a journey through. It's our sixth message in looking at the book of Ephesians, and we're still in Ephesians chapter 1. And what we've seen so far in the book of Ephesians at the beginning is what is our identity in Christ? Who are we? We've seen that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God, is all involved in speaking to us about our identity. And ultimately, in all we've seen of our identity, it boils down and comes down to we belong to God. That if we're a follower of Christ, we've been chosen by God. We've been adopted. We are part of God's family. Now we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. And we're secure. We're sealed because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But that identity changes us. Our identity, embracing who we are in Christ, is the same thing as faith. Faith and embracing our identity in Christ will transform us. If we really are a follower of Christ, our lives will be different. In particular, last week, we saw that if we really understand who we are in Christ, we will love one another, and it will change how we relate. Well, that is the foundation that Paul has laid for us at the beginning of the book of Ephesians. Paul now shifts from this praise and reminding us of who we are in Christ to now he moves to intercession, to prayer. And where we pick up today, as we pick back up in verse 17, we begin to see Paul praying for the people in Ephesus. Now, I want to remind you what's happening in Ephesus. If you hear the first week you heard this as we started the study, Ephesus was a tough city. One of the seven wonders of the ancient world was there, and that was a massive temple to Artemis, a false goddess right there. The city was full of paganism, was full of worship to idols, was full of the occult and, and, and witchcraft type things and black magic everywhere. The currency had, the, had Artemis, had a false god on it. The banking was done in the temple. The whole city was a place of paganism and idolatry, and to follow Christ in that town would be an incredibly difficult thing to do. So Paul writes to them to encourage them, but also to pray for them. If you're writing to your friends you love dearly, who are in a city with idolatry everywhere, where they're struggling to get by in a place where it's so hostile of faith, 
what would you pray for them? Would you pray for their safety, first and foremost? Would you pray for their financial situation, first and foremost? Would you pray for their relationship, first and foremost? Again, it's not wrong to pray for those things, but look at what Paul prays for the people in Ephesus. What Paul believes they need more than anything else to live out the gospel, to live out their identity in Christ where they are. He's going to begin in praying for them. And so we're going to pick back up this morning. We're actually, for context, going to go back to verse number 15 in Ephesians 1 and go through verse 19 this morning to see the beginning of Paul's prayer to them. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God, God's revelation to us. I'm reading out the English Standard Version, and the words will be on the screen if you want to follow on there as well. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might. Would you pray with me? Father, I am so thankful that we have this glimpse of how Paul prayed for the people in Ephesus. And God, I pray today that this would come alive in my heart and the heart of these brothers and sisters. And God, that we would have our focus on you strengthened, that we would see and be refined in our understanding of what is most important, what we need the most. And God, I pray it would transform how we pray, it would transform how we live as we better understand what it is we most need to walk with you in this life you've placed us in. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So what is our greatest need? Back to the song Alex sang for us. Our greatest need is simply this. We need God to grow our knowledge of him and what he has done for us. What do we need more than anything else? We need God to grow us. We need God to grow our knowledge of him, our understanding of who he is, our relationship with him. We need him to grow our understanding of what he has already done for us. More than we need protection, more than we need financial prosperity, more than we need sicknesses to go away, more than we need all those other things, we need as followers of Christ to, to grow, to have God grow us in our understanding of him, to have God grow us in our understanding of what, who we are in him. There's so much Paul could have prayed for for the people in Ephesus, but he started here. He started praying for God to grow them in their knowledge of God and praying for God to grow them in understanding what God has already done for them. Because if we get that right, friends, everything else will flow. With that in view, I want to start with this idea to realize, first of all, our greatest need, friends, is something that we cannot fix ourselves. Notice in this, I've been intentional. We need God to grow us. I didn't say you need to grow yourself. We need God to grow us, friends. This is not a self-help message. This is not a, what I've been calling lately, white-knuckle determination. Just try harder. This is not a striving in our own strength. Paul's prayer for them is not in verse 17 that you should try harder to gain wisdom and revelation, that you should strive to be enlightened. It doesn't tell us that. This is a prayer that's focusing on God himself more than on us. Notice again the language back in verse 16 and 17. Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that, here's the prayer, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Friends, the focus is God himself, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Notice the names. It's all about God here. But then it's also about God's provision, what God does for us. Again, notice here in verse 17, this is what God does for us, not what we do for ourselves. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he may give you. Notice again, the focus of this is not about what we're doing. It's about what he does for us, that he may give us 
something here. And what is it that we need God to do? What is our greatest need here that Paul is asking for? Verse 17, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. What is this talking about? What is it we need God to do? This is talking about God giving us the Holy Spirit. This is not about me and my spirit having wisdom and revelation, though that comes. This is about the Holy Spirit himself. In fact, this phrase here, the spirit of wisdom, is a title for the Holy Spirit that's used way back in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. You can look it up later. But that's a messianic text talking about the Messiah coming, but also talking about King David. In that text, the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of wisdom. And Paul pulls from that to remind us that what we need God to be giving us is the Holy Spirit. He's asking for the people in Ephesus and for us that the Holy Spirit, who is God, who has all wisdom because he is God, the one who is already within them as followers of Christ because he has sealed them because of what God has done for them, he's now asking the Holy Spirit to reveal something to them. This is the the title, The Spirit of Revelation. This is part of what the Holy Spirit does in the followers of Christ. He reveals something to us. So what is our greatest need as followers of Christ? We need the Father, to send the Holy Spirit to us, to fill us, that we might have a revelation. But what type of revelation are we talking about? A revelation of who God is, to grow our knowledge of Him. So, friends, our greatest need is to know God more. And, friends, you and I in our own strength cannot know God more. So, ultimately, our greatest need is for God and His kindness to us, to give us the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives, who will give us wisdom, who will reveal to us who God is. The Holy Spirit is the one who can and will grow our knowledge of God. Look back at verse 17 here. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Notice that what the Spirit particularly gives us is revelation of the knowledge of God. Friends, in the Scripture, when you see the word knowledge or knowing, realize it's not just intellectual. Yes, it is that because we have to know who we're following But if you think of knowing in the scripture, it involves intimacy. It involves having a relationship with someone. You know, I did my dissertation years ago on a guy named Ian Bounds who wrote a lot about prayer. Now, I know a lot about Ian Bounds. I do not know Ian Bounds. There's a difference in knowing about and knowing. And so I think a lot of times we think about knowing in our culture, we think about the intellectual side of it. Oh, yeah, I know who the president is. Oh, I know who that celebrity is. But, friends, in the scripture, when it talks about knowing, it, reply, it implies a relationship, an intimacy, a connection there. And so this is talking about not just knowing about God. This is knowing God personally. This is having a very close, dynamic, very real relationship with our Creator. That's why if you think back to our study of the Gospel of John before we got into Ephesians, in John seventeen three, Jesus said, This is eternal life, that they know you. Not just know about you. Now, that's part of it, but that they know you. They have a knowledge, a closeness, a relationship with God. But notice something interesting here in verse 17, talking about what the Holy Spirit does. That very last phrase, that the Father will give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. This word knowledge is interesting here. So hang with me for a minute here. Here's our little Greek lesson for the day, okay? You ready for a little Greek lesson on this Our translation loses something here when we go to English on this particular word. We see the word knowledge, and it's just like every other word knowledge in the Bible. Well, there's a Greek word for knowledge. That's the normal word that's translated. It's the word gnosis. If you want the English transliteration, it's G-N-O-S-I-S. Gnosis, or knowledge. That's a normal word to mean understanding of things, relationship, all of that. That's not the word that Paul uses here. He takes that word, but he puts a preposition on the front of it 
that normally doesn't go there. He takes the preposition epi, epi. So normally gnosis is knowledge. This is epinosis. What is it the epi do at the front? That preposition increases whatever the word is. It intensifies. It says whatever this word is, now make it richer, fuller, deeper, more. And so Paul takes the word for knowledge that's so common in their conversation, and he sticks this preposition on the front to say what the Holy Spirit gives you is not just knowledge. He's going to give you an intense knowledge, a deeper knowledge, a real knowledge, a fuller knowledge of God. And so, friends, our great need that Paul sees, the great need that the people in Ephesus have more than protection and finances and everything else, is not just to know God, but to have an intense knowledge of God, a deeper knowledge of God, a richer knowledge of God, a fuller knowledge of God, a growing knowledge of God. And so what Paul prays for the people in Ephesus and for us is that God might give us the Holy Spirit who will give us knowledge, epinosis, a deeper, fuller knowledge of God. And how does the Holy Spirit do that? Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. He does that by enlightening the eyes of our heart. Now, what in the world does that mean? My heart doesn't have eyes. Your heart doesn't have eyes, right? My heart's going lub-dub, so is yours right now. What is this idea of the eyes of your heart. This is an image. And the culture at the time, the heart was understood to be the center of a person's being. The heart represented the person's thoughts and their affections. It was the whole of the person. And so Paul is picking an image here to say, go down to your heart, to your soul, to your spirit, to some people call your inner man. There's lots of ways to describe it. But go to your inner person, your soul, your spirit, the depths of who you are. And the Holy Spirit will open your eyes to see who God is, to give you understanding in your mind, your emotions, your will, in your inner person, in your soul, your spirit. All that will be opened up to see and to grow in seeing who God is. Your whole self knowing God, your whole self being in relationship in a growing relationship with God. And so, friends, our great need is for the Holy Spirit to do that, to open up the depths of our heart, our soul, our emotions, our mind, our spirit, our inner man, to understand, to know in relationship who God is. That's not all. Paul also prays for them, for the Holy Spirit to grow their knowledge of what God has already done for them. We need to, our great need is to know who God is, to be in relationship with Him, but to know what He's done for us. Look at verse 18. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance and in the saints. Friends, we need the Holy Spirit here to open up our heart to show us our identity. This is everything we've seen in Ephesians chapter 1 so far. Who we are in Christ. That we have been called by God. We have an inheritance as his sons and daughters. That we belong in all to him. He's praying that we would understand that. That we would know our calling. We know our inheritance. All that language of verse 18 should sound familiar because that's all of what 1 through 14 was already all about. But I don't want you to miss something here that's really important. This identity is something we already have. It seems like so often what I see in Christianity is people somehow longing for more of God and longing for more blessings. Friends, we already fully have this identity in Christ. We already fully have these blessings. If you think back to what we already looked at in verses 13 and 14, that we are already, if we're in Christ, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who's our guarantee. We already, if we're in Christ, have the Holy Spirit within us. We can't get more of Him. We already have Him. If we're in Christ, think back to verse 3, we already have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Not some, not a few, but He says we already have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Friends, if we're in Christ, we already are adopted. We already are sons and daughters of God. We already have an inheritance. We already have the riches 
of his grace. God has already done this for us. And the Holy Spirit dwelling within us reminds us that we already have this in him. Listen to verse 18 again. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Friends, if we will understand who we are in Christ, what he already has done for us, it will free us from so much of the, the, the seeking things in life and seeking more. We already have our standing in Christ. And it will change us. Look at verse 18. It will give us hope. Having the eyes of your heart in line that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Friends, if we understand who God is and we have a relationship with him and the Holy Spirit now working within our heart reminds us of what we already have in Christ, friends, we have hope. That's not wishful thinking. That's hope. That's a confidence that's not circumstantial. The Ephesians would not have hope on their own. Think of the circumstances around them. But God says they can have hope in this, a confidence because they're confident in the one who is sovereign over all, who's called them and will do all he has promised to do. Friends, notice though that hope is not what they're striving for. They're striving to know God. As they know God, hope comes. I think so often we get those things out of order. We want the hope, we want the peace, but we don't want to pursue God. Notice the hope is a byproduct. The hope is the effect of having a dynamic relationship with God, of the Holy Spirit working within us. So friends, what we need even more than hope is we need to know God. We need to be growing in our knowledge of God. We need to be growing in understanding who we are. And out of that then flows hope and the difficulties of life. Out of that flows peace and the trials. Out of that flows purpose in life because it takes us deeper and deeper and deeper into knowing about God, to knowing Him, and to understanding who we are in Him. So friends, what is our greatest need? Our greatest need is to for God to grow us, for God to do the work of making us closer to Him, and for God to remind us of who we already are in Him. And friends, if we focus on that first, it will transform us. It will give us hope and it will change us in so many ways. In fact, I want to take us back to the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to put the words on the screen here. But Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 may be a familiar text for you. We're told, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Now just pause there for a minute. There's a lot we can be anxious about in life, isn't there? There's a lot of hardships in life. There's a lot of trials. As I think about and pray for you guys, there's so many burdens you guys carry. There's so much in our human flesh we could be really anxious about. But in Matthew 6, it carries on in verse 32 now. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Notice again the order here. There's all these things in life that we could focus on. There's so much Paul could be praying for for the people in Ephesus. But what's he focused on? He's focusing on their hearts to seek after the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. And then verse 34 wraps that one up in verse 34 of Matthew 6. Or maybe it just ends on 33 on the screen for you. Sorry, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and these will be added for you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So in the midst of the troubles of life that are here and promised, God's never promised he would change the circumstances for us. But he has promised that if we will seek after him, he will change us. He will grow our knowledge of him and he will give us hope. Now that raises a question. At the beginning I said this is not us striving. This is God doing it for us. But now I'm saying we're to seek after his kingdom and his righteousness. Now which is it? Am I 
having a senior moment here and getting confused. If God has to do the work, Ephesians 1 here, it's all of him. Paul's just simply praying for God to do what they can't do. Now all of a sudden we're talking about seeking after God. What in the world is this about? How can it be both? How does this work? Well, friends, God is sovereign. God can do what God wants to do. If he wants to zap someone who's not seeking them, him and turn their hearts, he can do that because he's God. You think about Saul, who was persecuting Christians. He's on the way to go kill more Christians. God doesn't wait for him to seek him. God just zaps him and turns him, literally blinds him with a light and turns his heart. God can do what God wants to do. But God typically works through something I once heard described as the pathways of grace. It's the ways that God typically will reveal himself to us. The ways that God loves to delight in revealing himself to us. The paths that we can put ourselves in, trusting him to then do the work. The best image I have for this is, is summertime. I know there's kids in the room this summer with us. So kids, do you love playing in the sprinkler like my kids do? If you are like my kids at all, you love the sprinkler in the front yard. I see some adults nodding as well. It is fun, isn't it? Yeah. Which, by the way, VBS family night coming up in a few weeks on Wednesday. There will be water slides out here out front. So just a different story for a different time. Just mark that on your calendar. But we love playing in the sprinkler. Now, I can turn on the sprinkler in my front yard and have that stream of water going. There's a pathway of the water there. Now, my kids want to play in it, but if they don't go run into that path of the water, they're not going to get wet. I have called them to it. I have turned it on for them, but the path they need to run through to get wet is pretty obvious. Now, the illustration breaks down, but in a small way, that's kind of what's happening in the spiritual realm. God has called us. God is drawing us to himself. He's provided pathways of grace where he loves and delights to reveal himself to, but we have to run into those paths. What are those paths? It's pretty simple. Studying the Bible and prayer. It's not rocket science for us, but yet this is what God has called to. God, God gives God. He can reveal himself in dreams. He can reveal himself however he chooses to reveal himself. But the place where he delights and normally reveals himself is as we study the word of God, as we pray and talk to him. This is that stream, that path of grace that he calls us now to run into. And we know that, and yet so often, friends, we neglect that. And we run away from that. And we wonder, why am I not growing in my walk with God? Friends, we need God to grow our knowledge of him. We need God to remind us of who we already are. Therefore, we study the scriptures. Therefore, we pray. Again, it's not just self-help, but it's not passivity either. It's not, well, God has to do this, so I can't do anything. No, God has to do it. But the way God often does this is by speaking to us through the word of God, by speaking to us as we pray. Therefore, we study scripture. Go back to verse 17 of our text today. Paul prays for them that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Notice here that revelation is singular. It's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit to reveal God to us. How does the Holy Spirit reveal God to us? Verse 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. What does he enlighten for us? Is he going to reveal himself to us as I'm sitting around watching a biscuits game? Well, he, he could. He's God. But how's he going to typically reveal himself to us? How's he going to enlighten my heart? It's going to be as the Holy Spirit within me, as I start reading the word of God, stuff starts standing out that I've never seen before. Conviction starts coming as I'm reading this. What's going on there? It's the Spirit of God enlightening my heart. As I read the revelation of God, and this is God's revelation to us, as we read it, the Spirit of God who dwells within us is making it come alive, is illuminating it, is enlightening our heart on this. Not necessarily the new truth, but to the truth that's already been revealed in the canon of scripture. And so, friends, when we put ourselves in the path of God's grace by reading scripture, it's not us striving or working hard. It's us simply just standing in that path, that sprinkler, trusting the Spirit of God to now do the work that only He can do. 
Now, I want to give us a little bit of a strong challenge in light of that. Especially, let me start with the teenagers. You guys watching your Instagram after youth camp this week and sold out, it looked like y'all had a great week. Wish I could have been there with y'all. It looked like a fun week. But one thing I kept seeing on Instagram posts from you guys is about how you've rededicated your life to the Lord and how you're selling out for the Lord now and how God has spoken to you and how you feel called closer to the Lord and all this cool stuff God has been doing in your life. Friends, if you don't follow that up with getting in the Word of God, that's not going to last. It's going to be an emotional high that's going to just crash right back down. To come away from sold out saying, man, I am committed to Christ now. I want God to change me. That change is going to happen as you get in the Word and get in prayer. But adults, that applies to us as well. How easy it is for us to talk about, man, I want God to grow me. Man, I want God to break this sin in my life. Man, I want God to change this situation. I want God to do all this stuff. And then we leave our Bibles closed on our shelves. And we neglect that path of grace. It'd be like my kids sitting in the front yard with a sprinkler running, being like, man, I want to get wet. Man, I wish I could get wet. It's so hot out here. Daddy, why can't I get wet? Why don't you make me wet? And it's like, I'd be like, there's a sprinkler. Go run in it. That's what God's doing for us as well. He's saying, here is my word. I will do the work. It's not your work to do. You just step into it and let me open your eyes to who I really am. Friends, we need God to grow our knowledge of him. We need God to help us understand and grow us in understanding who we are in him. Therefore, we study the Bible. But friends, also, therefore, we commit to prayer as well. Look at verse 16. Notice how Paul prays for them. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Notice how Paul's praying here. It's not a one-time prayer. He says, I do not cease. I am regularly ongoing praying for you and praying that God would grow your knowledge of him, that God would grow your understanding of who you are in Christ. He said, I am regularly praying this for you. Why is he regularly praying this for them? Because, friends, they daily need reminding about the nature of God. Friends, we are such short-sighted creatures. I don't know about you, but it's amazing how quickly we can lose sight of who God is. And so Paul prays regularly, ongoing, that they would see the bigness of God, that they would be drawn in to knowing God more. Friends, we daily need reminding as well of what God has done for us. It's amazing how quickly our hearts can forget who we are in Christ. It's amazing our own flesh and the pulls of the world and the enemy himself, how quickly our hearts can turn from being anchored in, I am a child of God, being anchored in, I am called by God, being anchored in, I have every spiritual blessings, to quickly being like, woe is me, my life is falling apart, where is God, what's going on, who am I? We hear so short-sighted so often, and so Paul continually, ongoingly prays this for them. And so friends, we need to ongoingly pray it for ourselves and for others as well. There's also a great hope and a great promise with that. Put up on the screen for you, Luke chapter 11, verse 13. Luke eleven thirteen. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give? Who? Who's the Heavenly Father going to give? The Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. Friends, what do you and I need? We need to grow. We need God to grow us and our knowledge of him. We need to grow in our intimacy with God. We need to grow in understanding who we are in Christ. And so what do we do? We ask God to fill us with his Holy Spirit. We ask God to transform us. And God has promised that if we ask him to give us the Holy Spirit, he will. Now, the Holy Spirit's already within us if we're followers of Christ. But if we ask this, we'll have more of an experience of the fullness of the Holy Spirit, opening our eyes and lightening our eyes to who God is, to knowing him, and to who we are. So, friends, for the people in Ephesus, what was their greatest need? Was it protection from witchcraft, deliverance from having to use pagan currency, safety, wealth, favor in the people's eyes? No, those were all needs they had, but that wasn't their greatest need. Their greatest need in that hostile place was to know God more, to understand who they were 
and Christ. And the only way that would happen is for them to have the Holy Spirit enlightening their eyes to who God is and who they are. Therefore, Paul prays for them that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. So I want to ask this morning, is what Paul just prayed, is that happening in your life? Is your life marked by a better understanding of who God is and who you are in Christ? Can you say with honesty that I know God better today than I did a year ago? Some of you guys who meet with me regularly get that annoying question pretty often from me. Of, okay, what's different now than a year ago? Where's God's grace? What, how's God grown you? But friends, if we're in Christ, he is this epinosis. He's growing our relationship with him. It's not just knowledge, but it's deeper knowledge, deeper relationship. So friends, is your life marked today by a deeper relationship, an epinosis, a growing knowledge of God that even from where you were a year ago, is that happening? Do you better understand today than a year ago that you're adopted by God? Do you have a greater grasp today that you belong to God than last year? Do you have a greater sense of God's forgiveness and his love and your inheritance and your calling and the hope and all that stuff than you did in the past? Friends, as well, are you finding the scriptures coming alive? Are you finding the spirit of God as you open the word of God speaking to you? Do you find the spirit of God enlightening your eyes as you read the word of God, finding truth coming alive and conviction and challenge and encouragement as the word of God feeds you? each day. But friends, bottom line, can we honestly say that today we know God better than we did six months ago or a year ago? Because that's his plan, is deeper knowledge, deeper relationship with him. As we close, I want to give you a quote from J.I. Packer. It's in a great book called Knowing God. If you've never read it, I highly commend it. It's on the resource center out in the hallway there. But in, in Knowing God, Packer has a quote that's really convicting and really helpful at the same time. Put it up on the screen for you here. Packer says, as not many of us, I think, would ever naturally say that we have known God. Now, time out here, that he's writing to believers. He said, most of us would not naturally say we know God. These words imply a definiteness and a matter-of-factness of experience to which most of us, if we're honest, have to admit we're still strangers. We think about that for a minute. To say that we know God, this is a definiteness that a lot of us really in integrity probably struggle to say. He goes on then to continue in this quote. We claim perhaps to have a testimony and can rattle off our conversion story with the best of them. We say that we know God. This, after all, is what evangelicals are expected to say. Because that gets really convicting. We can rattle off our story of how God saved us, and we can rattle off the, the, the statement, so yeah, I, I know God. But friends, do we really? Packers want to say, but would it occur to us to say, without hesitation, and with reference to particular events in our personal history, that we have known God? Can we say without hesitation and with reference to particular events in our personal history that we have known God? Friends, if I ask you if you're married about your spouse, tell me, do you know your spouse? Well, of course I know my spouse. We just went to the beach together and we just did this together and we spent time. you, You could rattle off very particular things to show me in the last 24 hours how you know your spouse. Or if you have a friend and you're like, hey, do you really know that person? Oh, of course I do. We went to Chick-fil-A yesterday and then went to Starbucks and we played golf. And you, you can tell me specific things that happened that show you know one another. Friends, can we, without hesitation, with reference in the same way to particular events in our personal history, say that we have known God? And Packer just hits right at home. He says, I doubt it. For I suspect that most of us, that with most of us, experience of God has never become so vivid as that. Friends, God's plan for us is to have a vivid relationship with him, a vivid knowing him, a vivid 
epinosis, growing of our knowledge of him, growing deeper in our understanding of him. I can't manufacture it. You can't manufacture it. It's a grace gift of God that comes only from his Holy Spirit, changing us, opening our eyes to the truth of the word of God as we study it and as we pray. And friends, I pray that's what would happen in my heart and your hearts, that God and his love for us would continue to pursue us, and that even this week that the Holy Spirit would show us obstacles to us knowing God in the way that we've just seen. Would you pray with me? Father God, I'm so thankful that you love us so much. You not only tell us our identity in you, but you've promised to send your Holy Spirit to fill us, to open our eyes, to enlighten our eyes, that we might have hope, that we might understand your power, that we might better know what it means to walk with you. And yet, Lord, I know in my heart and in the heart of so many of these brothers and sisters, there's there's times where we really can't say with definiteness and without hesitation, yeah, I know God today. We know the truth that you'll never leave us or forsake us, God. We know the truth that we believed in you and we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. But, Lord, I fear in our lives so often, God, we don't really experience you. We don't know you. We don't have that epinosis of growing deep, full, rich intimacy with you. And, Lord, we want that. So, God, I pray that this prayer that Paul prayed for the people of Ephesus, Lord, as he saw their deepest need, might resonate in our hearts and soul as well. Because, Lord, our deepest need, more than whatever challenges or trials face us this summer, more than job security, more than health, or more than anything else, God, we need to know you. God, we were made to know you. And, God, there's a God-shaped void in the heart of every single one of us. And yet, Lord, we confess so often we run through this life trying to fill that void in our life with everything besides you. God, even as your followers, so often our Bibles will sit closed in our desk or our shelves. Our prayer life is almost non-existent. And we keep wondering why there's that void. God, I pray this week in your grace and your kindness to us, God, that you just be wooing us and drawing us as your children. God, we thank you that you've adopted us. Thank you that you've made us your own. And God, I pray that this week there be such a hunger and thirst to not just know about you, but to know you, God, that we would experience this deeper knowledge of you. So would you, in your kindness, give each one of us as your children the fullness of the Holy Spirit this week to reveal to us more of who you are and more of who we are in you. And God, we'll give you all the glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?